I would hit a gavel if I had a gavel. I call this meeting to order. Katie. Good evening. This is the meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment, and the time is 5.13 p.m. A note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Due to the COVID-19 health emergency and to protect commissioners, department staff, and members of the public, the Commission on the Environment's meeting room 416 is closed. However, commissioners and department staff will be participating in the meeting remotely. This precaution is taken pursuant to the statewide stay-at-home order and all preceding and proceeding local, state, and federal orders, declarations, and directives. Commissioners will attend the meeting through video conference or by telephone if video fails, and participate in the meeting to the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. SFGovTV.org are streaming the number up at the top of the screen. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 146-083-7536. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location speak clearly and slowly, and turn down any other devices. Alternatively, you may submit public comment by email to the department's commission affairs officer at environment at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Stevenson. Here. Vice President Ahn. Here. Commissioner Bermejo? Here. Commissioner Chu? Here. Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Wald is excused. And Commissioner Wan? Here. President Stevenson, we have a quorum. Okay, next agenda item, please. Here, next agenda item is item two, President's welcome, and this item is for discussion. All right, good evening, everyone, and thank you for all of you who made it out to this meeting of the Commission on the Environment. Um, as always, in this virtual world, I'll start by sharing some best practices for the meeting. If you haven't already done so, commissioners, I'm going to ask you all to please mute yourself to minimize background noise. Um, commissioners will have to remember to unmute yourselves to be able to comment. There are staff members in the background who will be managing the technological functions during the meeting so that we can switch at any point from a slide presentation to whomever is speaking at the moment. Again, please be patient as we work through these adjustments virtually. Um, very happy to welcome you all here. We're at our last commission meeting of 2020. Um, and obviously I have to acknowledge that this meeting looks a lot different than our first meeting of the year. Um, I'm very proud of how the commission has shifted to meet virtually and how the department has completely pivoted its programs to balance both the new needs of the San Francisco residents during this time of COVID um, while still remaining completely committed to our environmental mission. I know that a lot of work has gone into creating our virtual meetings and making them successful and that joining through this computer format can feel kind of strange. But I think it's paid off for us to do this and allowed us to continue addressing some of our biggest challenges. We'll continue to meet virtually into 2021 until it's safe for us all to meet in person again, but I know that this will not slow us down. We made a great amount of progress on issues such as natural gas and safer pesticide alternatives, and I look forward to continuing our efforts around racial equality. 
Centering equity will be essential as the city recovers from COVID-19 and through everything that we do as a commission and as a department. At our meetings this year, we've heard how department programs helped our communities through the Essential Workers Ride Home program and the support given to our green businesses. And staff directly engaged in the city's efforts to fight COVID as disaster service workers and at the COVID Command Center. Our work for our people and our planet never stopped through all of it, and I know that we are capable of even more next year. As we near the end of the year and have time to reflect on 2020, I am encouraged by the steps that we took and by our commitment to advocating for change. If we can all band together to save our neighbors by wearing masks and develop world-changing vaccines in just a matter of months, we can certainly put our heads together and our hearts together to solve the climate crisis. Is there any public comment on the president's welcome? Okay, I will. Oops. Um, I will put instructions up on the screen in case anyone would like to call in to make a public comment. Give me one second. So I've just put the instructions up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in to make a comment on the president's welcome. Just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment and you will need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in our queue, but we'll take a brief pause in case anyone would like to call in at this time. not seeing any callers in our queue. Seeing no more callers. Public comment is now closed. Next item, please. Okay. Our next item is item three, approval of minutes of the September 22nd, 2020 Commission on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the September 22nd, 2020 draft minutes. And this item is for discussion and action. Commissioners, is there any discussion or comments about the um, last minutes meetings, last meetings minutes? All right, do I hear a motion to approve? So moved. Second. All right. That by Commissioner Bermejo and um, seconded by Commissioner On. Is there any public comment on the minutes? I'll put the instructions back up on the screen in case anyone would like to call in to make a comment on the approval of the minutes. Just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment and you will need to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in our queue, but we'll take a brief pause in case anyone would like to call in.
I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. Great, public comment is now closed. Katie, can you please call the roll? Yes. President Stevenson? Aye. Vice President On. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Chu? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Wald is excused and Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes, Katie. Let's move on to the next item, please. All right, our next item is item four, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. So give me one moment while I put the instructions back up on the screen. All right, public comment is now open for this item. Please let us know if you have anything that you want to add to our meeting. Not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another pause in case anyone would like to call in. I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, public comment is now closed. Next item, please. All right, our next item is item five, review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve resolution file 2020-04-COE, urging the Board of Supervisors to support proposed ordinance, Board of Supervisors file number 201151. The sponsor is Deborah Raphael, director, and the speakers are Asha Safai, District 11 supervisor, and Jack Macy and James Slattery, SF Environment. The explanatory documents are resolution file number 2020-04-COE regarding ordinance and Board of Supervisors file number 201151, Board of Supervisors file number 201151, Environment Public Works Codes, Construction and Demolition Debris Recovery, and the Construction and Demolition Debris Recovery Legislative Digest. And this item is for discussion and possible action. Thanks, Katie. Debbie, would you like to introduce the item, please? Yes, thank you so much, President Stevenson. Uh, it is uh, honor and exciting to bring this to the full commission, the construction and demolition issue, as well as the proposed ordinance was brought to the policy committee we had a very lively discussion after the presentation, and since then, it has uh, taken shape, and I'm very excited that we will have Supervisor Safai here to uh, set the stage in his words. Um, I would like to say that when we think about zero waste, many of us think about the three-bin system and what residents can do, what businesses can do. Uh, when we talk about construction and demolition in this city, that is a lot of waste. I will not go into the details of the numbers. You will be hearing about that, but it is a hugely significant part of our waste stream. And we do not have the authority we need right now 
to do the enforcement of all the players. And that's what this is about. This is about creating a system where we capture the waste and make sure that it's going to the right place. So with that, I would love to bring on Supervisor Safai if he is available to introduce this item. And then if it's okay, President Stevenson, I'd like to come back and just um, make on one more comment before we kick off with Jeff. Yep. Charles, is Supervisor coming on? Through the chair um, to comment on that. I, I've texted the Supervisor several times. He may be held up um, in another meeting, um, but I do not think he has joined yet. Um, um, yeah, I'm texting him to come on now too. Okay. Let's see if he says. Um, so I want to just, before, before he gets on, I just want to say that uh, when we, we've been working on this ordinance with Supervisor Safai for two years, probably two years plus. And when you put legislation and policy in place, you do it in a particular time and context. And that time and context has evolved. And clearly no one foresaw not only a pandemic, but a third surge. And so I'm gonna ask Charles to set a little bit of the context for where you find yourself as a commission now as you as you think through this. And then hopefully Supervisor Safai will join us. Otherwise, we'll start with the presentation and just stop whenever he gets in. Sure. Uh, do you want me to set that context now, Debbie? Yes, please. Sure, sure. Thank you, um, Debbie, for those remarks. So um, the CND uh, proposed ordinance was heard at the Transportation and Land Use Committee. And as Debbie noted, the, we've been working on this for two years now. This has been uh, an issue that we've been eager to address. Um, there is still C&D that is being disposed illegally that should not be going to landfill. And so, of course, um, that is something we want to address. However, we do find ourselves at a unique time, the first being in a pandemic and in the middle of the biggest surge that the country and the city has seen. And so city resources, city departments are um, understandably a little distracted and, and focused on pandemic, pandemic related things. And so that is an issue. There's also, and, and that some of those issues were brought up at the Transportation and Land Use Committee uh, yesterday. There were also some other issues about the relationship um, of how this ordinance will be implemented between us, the sheriff, and the Department of Public Works. Um, and there were just a few other issues. And so to that end, the uh, Transportation and Land Use Committee decided to table the topic for a later date. And so there's gonna be some regrouping amongst us. We've got to do a little bit more interdepartmental coordination. And I think when the city emerges from this pandemic, hopefully, hopefully soon, and with the results of the new shelter and order place, hopefully going to materialize soon as well, and we can get the surge under control. I think we'll be in a better place to bring back this ordinance for consideration when there's more resources and more ability for the city families, the city elected officials to focus on it. And so there is a recommend, staff recommendation that for the resolution that is before you today, that since it has been tabled at the Transportation Land Use Committee, it makes sense to not take action on that resolution 
and we will bring it back to you. We would like to bring it back to you at a later date when the board takes it up again as well. So we can just kind of sync up all of those actions. And that's the staff recommendation. Uh, and so we'll come back to that, Charles. But at this point, I see Supervisor sure. is on. And I'm incredibly grateful to his leadership. Uh, Supervisor Safai will tell you about how he first came across the magnitude of this problem. Uh, and he didn't just see it as a problem, but he wanted to know what the solution is. And it's that kind of leadership that is incredibly gratifying to me as a department head and that kind of partnership that I am uh, incredibly grateful for uh, in a supervisor <laughs> colleague like Supervisor Safai. So take it away, Supervisor. Thank you, Rafael. Can you all hear me? Okay. Perfectly. Okay, great. So, you know, I want to thank you and your team. We've been working on this for over two years, uh, Charles and Jack and, and, um, and where is he? I see him on the James Slattery doing all the legwork. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background real quick. So I started uh, one, my, my introduction to waste and waste management as a policy and an environmental concern started. Uh, I was hired by the janitors union back in 2007. And it was at that time, the city was putting together its uh, goal for uh, zero waste. And we worked hard to ensure that the voice of people that were actually doing the work of sorting was included in the legislation. Um, fast forward to when I was elected in 2016, about a year into my time, uh, the city, we, we called for a hearing to get an update on where we were, because the goal at the time was to achieve zero waste by 2020. Many of you know that. And it became abundantly clear that we were not going to achieve that. Although we had done tremendous work and although we were very far ahead of other parts of the world and country, we still had a ways to go. And so in that meeting, we talked about um, the idea of areas that we could improve to achieve zero waste. Uh, the first piece of policy that we tackled, as you know, is the large uh, refuse generators, hotels, hospitals, universities, large apartment buildings, large office buildings. And we spent about a year and a half on that legislation. We got a unanimous vote, ultimately um, cause for, and as part of that, uh, audits are now conducted in these large refuse generators and those that are doing well, great. Those that are not um, have to invest more to ensure that they're doing what you and I do in our home, which is sorting their, their waste and diverting it from landfill. The second piece of that was the construction and demolition. We've been working on that now for two years. And we did the first introduction yesterday. Um, it's a very complicated uh, piece of legislation. There's a lot of different departments involved. But in general, you know, the, and I'm sure the staff will, will describe it to you in a very clear term, more clear term than I can, but essentially moving away from in construction using and permitting the debris box mechanism and really thinking about those that are actually hauling away the construction and demolition waste and where they are taking that construction and demolition waste to so that we can begin a, a, a debris recovery ordinance and, and really reduce the amount that goes to landfill um, I think this is a, a wonderful continuation of work that I've been doing over the last 13 years. I think uh, it's been wonderful work to work with the department. 
I think that we still have some work to do in kind of explaining a little bit of how the the pieces work, you know, where the debris got, boxes go in the public right away, what the jurisdictional decision making is between the Department of Environment and and uh, Public Works. I think we've done a good job of doing that. We still have some more explanation to do. I never intended to rush this legislation through, but actually put it out there again, get feedback, talk to more stakeholders, and then and then think about ultimately, you know, if there's 12 recovery facilities in the Bay Area, who's doing a really good job, who's doing a pretty good job, and, and how we can really encourage them to do the best job that we need them to do. These are all certified by Department of Environment. Um, but again, thinking about how that actually goes into implementation. There were some conversations about uh, putting a carbon impact fee. I think that's out the, outside the purview of this legislation, but it's not, not necessarily uh, something that's um, not worthwhile investigating. I think it's something that the Department of Environment is interested in looking at. I think it's outside the purview of this legislation though. Um, obviously, I think the, the, the elephant in the room also is that there's a lot of, there's been a lot of conversation about who's doing recovery in, in the Bay Area, who's actually doing a lot of this work in the city and county of San Francisco. So we need to dive deeper into that. And we need to make sure that everything and everyone that's participating in that work, that this free and competitive environment to do that work. And, and, I, and I feel confident that. So at the end of the day, we allow for a transition period from those, those small haulers, those are their weight is less than 10,000. We give them over a year to transition in with the information. And then everyone that's larger than 10,000 uh, pounds um, of gross vehicle weight and up, we have a tiered system. And that was done by the controller. It was done to ensure that we're not 100% cost recovery. I think the rule that the controller has is up to 80 to 90%. We followed that rule based on the recommendations of the, of the controller. And I think this is a fair program that will really encourage bad actors that have not really participated well in this environment that are undercutting those that are actually doing the work and taking the C&D to the right facilities and participating in recovery and recycling efforts and really, re, really whittle down the, the environment to those that are actually fully participating and taking on the facilities that actually do the work so that San Franciscans ultimately are not paying additional costs for landfill and they're not paying additional costs um, environmental degradation. So I really appreciate you all looking into this uh, and supporting this. I'm very proud to have led on this and work uh, closely with your staff and we will get there and it will take a next couple months. We'll take a little break over the holidays. Uh, we'll do a little bit more outreach and we'll pick it back up to, in February. Uh, in February, and and we will get it done next year. So I'm very happy of that, and, and uh, hopefully this commission will give its unanimous support. Thank you so much, Supervisor. Really appreciate your support. Um, and with that, uh, I will let you go back to your important work with the board or wherever you find yourself this evening. Thank you for everything, and we will be back in touch to keep working. As you say, there's work to be done on this, so thank you. And thank you to all the commissioners. Uh, I know they do a lot of work, um, great work. So thank you all for all your wonderful work uh, in this department. Thanks. Yes, indeed, they do. Uh, 
Okay. And with that, I'm going so long. With that, I'm going to turn it over to my most esteemed colleagues, Jack Macy and James Slattery, who are um, have been working on this so deeply and so passionately and so intentionally. And with that, Jack, take it away. Thank you very much, Debbie. And I was going to thank uh, Supervisor Safai, but he he left. Uh, we really do appreciate his uh, leadership and support on this. And I'm going to um, share my screen to show you a PowerPoint presentation. And maybe someone can acknowledge that they're seeing it. Do you see it? We yeah. do. It's not in presentation mode yet, but it, yeah. we see it. Uh, good. I will put it in presentation mode. That would be good. So my goal in this presentation tonight is to highlight the challenge, the problem that we have with construction and demolition debris in achieving our zero waste goal and what our current ordinance is doing and then especially focusing on the proposed new ordinance and how that helps address the current challenges that we have. And so, uh, you know, we all know about our zero waste goal and our commitment, and I liked what Debbie said, it's not just about blue and green, uh, it includes construction and demolition debris. And construction and demolition debris is a huge challenge. And what's particularly uh, important, uh, actually, I, I just wanted to stop for a second and say, uh, good evening, <laughs> commissioners, I meant to say that, and my honor to be joining you tonight and presenting. And I have my colleague, uh, James, with me, who will help answer any questions uh, after this. So with regards to construction and demolition debris, it represents half of all the solid waste, of all the discards being generated in the city. And that is at least a million and a half tons per year of debris that is generated. Uh, and this represents a huge amount of resources and embedded carbon. And one interesting thing is that on average, if you recycle a ton of C&D debris, you can save a ton of carbon dioxide emissions. So there's a very strong uh, connection, not just to zero waste, but to our climate goals in addressing the challenge of C&D. And what have we been doing? Since 2006, we've had a C&D debris recovery ordinance that helps address the ecosystem of how material flows from projects that generate the debris to the transporters that pick it up and haul it uh, to the facilities that we want to sort and recycle this material. In terms of projects, we're looking at 30,000 projects that are permitted per year. It's a pre-COVID number, uh, but they are coming back slowly. Uh, the, out of 60,000 that generate debris. And all of those projects, any debris coming from those projects cannot go directly to landfill they have to either be source separated and go to market or they have to go to a facility that will sort and market that material. For transporters, if you are gonna transport C&D debris, you have to be registered with the department if that debris is mixed. So, and by being registered with the department, you agree not to take it to landfill, but to deliver it to one of a dozen facilities that are currently in our system as being registered uh, by us as meeting performance requirements. And we added a, through regulation, 
a third party verification, which really helps because we were having problems with some of the, the smaller facilities, particularly not having uh, adequate record keeping or acting, uh, taking too much material and not uh, recovering it and sending it to landfill. So that is what our current system is, in essence, dealing with these three things. After 14 years, however, we still find uh, that as we are generating half the debris, we still have a lot of it being disposed. 25% of all our disposal is from construction and demolition debris. That is more than 150,000 tons, somewhere between 150 and over 175,000 tons of material are being disposed of CND at a, at a minimum, at least at the pre-COVID levels and coming back. And this, this is significant. This is a, a significant amount of material. And the weak link in this system is our transporters. In, the, in terms of projects, we've actually done a, additional work beyond our ordinance in terms of getting working with DBI to have a lot of them submit plans to meet a state Calgary requirement. And so we're, we're improving the regulation around projects and we've improved it around facilities. But with transporters, we have a challenge in that there are hundreds of companies, individuals out there driving trucks, picking up material. We currently are registering 300 of them, but recently by just doing infield surveillance over the last month or so, we found that 30% of those transporting were not registered. And we know where this is resulting in a lot of illegal disposal. Uh, so the challenge we have is huge amounts of CND debris that in an open competitive market where a lot of it is being disposed illegally. And this is a, a challenge for us to manage and get towards our zero and climate waste goals. And it is also creating a situation that those transporters that are cheating, that go directly to landfill, uh, it's cheaper for them to do that, especially if they're based outside the city and they're doing it on their way back, and they underbid projects. So those players that play by the rules are unhappy about being underbid by those who are cheating. This creates an unlevel playing field. So more progress is needed. And in addition to illegal disposal, we have a problem with illegal dumping that includes CND as well. And we're seeing this, of course, in streets and lots of San Francisco. So what we are looking at is how do we improve this and how do we improve the weak link of our system? So what we did was look at what's going on in the Bay Area and we, uh, the three most comparable cities uh, here of San Jose, San Francisco and Oakland. San Jose has an open competitive system that requires a refundable deposit paid by construction projects as a way to provide a, a kind of a, a carrot for them to then sort of submit the plans and document they're doing recovery. But the deposit's not enough and that system does not work well. In Oakland, they have what's called a non-exclusive franchise, which basically means it's open to those who will pay to play, uh, but that payment is through revenue sharing and it's very complicated, requires receipts of all revenues. And that system isn't very effective. Both those systems require a lot of resources and are not getting the results. So what approach should we take? Well, in this process of looking how to improve our system, we've engaged with a lot of stakeholders as we do in implementing our ordinance, but we particularly reached out 
uh, to dozens of different companies, small, medium, and large, transporters, contractors, facilities, to figure out how we can improve this, this system. And you know, we got a lot of good input. And we got a, a key message that we got is that we need to better enforce against illegal disposal and dumping by transporters. That is just, it's unfair, and that's what's really causing the problem. And how do we do that? We need to generate more resources in order for us to have a strong presence in the field, eyes in the field. And what we've really come up with is the best way is through a permit program, building on what Public Works does, which what they've been doing for many years is they require a permit for debris boxes used in the public right away. In addition, they have a street right away permit for anything that's gonna go in the right away of streets. And here's an example of what that permit decal looks like. Uh, you get an annual permit or a seven day permit. You pay about $800 for an annual permit. And it's a, that decal is affixed on the box and you're in, you're in the system and you know the rules that you have to play by. Uh, so this system works pretty well. Um, and so we are, our plan, the proposed ordinance is to build on this by capturing more of the containers and vehicles that collect. Public works just requires a permit for boxes that are put in the, the public right away. However, there are a lot of job sites that have boxes that are, are not getting permitted and so are outside the system right now. And then, of course, there are all the different types of trucks and vehicles being transported, hundreds of different types of trucks and vehicles out there, and we want to capture them as well. So the ordinance is the new proposed ordinance is for a permitted transporter system with permit fees. And you heard Supervisor Safai kind of give some examples of that. Uh, so here in this uh, bit of a complex table, uh, just to kind of quickly walk you through it, on the left column is the type of vehicle that is getting covered from the small pickups to larger pickups with trailers to small to medium trucks, medium to large dump trucks, and then the what's called super dump, super dump and transfer trailers, the largest. Then you see weights there associated with a letter. That letter is the California DMV weight code. And we determined that the best way to approach this is to base the permit amount, the permit type and amount on the way code so that it's a progressively scaled permit fee system so that you pay more for a, a vehicle that would carry more material. And what we have here is tiers one through four in addition to the debris box. Tier one, the smallest would be phased in a year after the rest because they are right now are completely outside the system. They don't, are not included in our registration because the registration essentially exempts most pickup trucks. And we've, we know that there are a lot of those players out there that contribute to uh, illegal disposal and dumping. So it's important to bring them in and we're giving ourselves extra time to do the outreach and for them to come into the system. And then we have tier two and three and four that would come in uh, at the same time. So let me uh, illustrate what these trucks look like. You will notice on the right-hand side that the cost impacts from this range from 0 0.005 to 0.05 of total construction costs. What we found in talking to a lot of stakeholders was that whatever fee that they pay for an annual or just a seven-day permit for one job, that would get 
passed on with their bid, you know, to a construction contractor, and it would become part of a larger construction cost. And looking at how many projects different uh, types of contractors and haulers do, and looking at what those construction costs, we came up with this range. So 0.005 to 0.05 is obviously a very small amount. So we were pleased that it would have uh, a very small percent impact on project costs. So this is what tier one is. It's these pickup trucks uh, that we see a lot of. And as I said, they would get phased in a year after the others. Tier two is a small to medium sized truck. So this is an example of that. Uh, I will say that tier one are really gonna be very small projects, uh, you know, including bathroom or kitchen remodels. Tier two would also be uh, residential, uh, maybe getting it to small commercial. Uh, and then tier three is your next size up, larger dump trucks. This would be larger residential projects, medium to large commercial projects. And then tier four is the largest. Uh, and these, you know, these large transfer trailers carry a lot. This is where you have a full structural demolition, as you see uh, in this picture, or just a very large uh, construction project would use that. So again, these permits would be scaled based on the size of projects and the amount of material handled. And the thrust of this ordinance is to create a robust permit system with a dedicated revenue to allow for a partnership between SF Environment, Public Works, and the Sheriff. And between these three agencies, we would have a strong presence in the field of doing outreach, of monitoring and compliance and being able to enforce against those breaking the law. A role that the Public Works will play is in permit intake. We wanna make this as seamless and simple, one-stop shop. You may know that the city has a new permit center at 49 Van Ness, and that is to help facilitate, make it easier for companies and folks coming in and getting a permit to have a one-stop shop. So they would be part of that one-stop shop, and then they would get their permit handed to them, and Public Works would continue their regulatory domain, which is around the public right-of-way and streets, and looking at, looking at those debris boxes there to make sure that they're, they have a permit and that they're complying with the other requirements that Public Works has. The sheriff would give us the ability to help uh, enforce on what's being going out of the city because all of the landfills, of course, are outside of San Francisco. So anything that's going to be, is being illegally disposed of landfill is going outside the city. The sheriff has the ability to work outside in partnership with other counties. And then our role would be a key role in providing a, a lot more field work. Um, you know, we, don't, we haven't had the resources to have much of a field presence, uh, but this would give us uh, additional resources. It would give us a couple additional staff. Uh, it would, would fund a couple of staff uh, at equivalent at Public Works and about a FDE equivalent uh, at the sheriff uh, based at the calculations that we did through the controller. So uh, that is the, you know, the kind of the, the thrust of our ordinance. I'm trying to keep this brief to allow for more detailed questions. I do want to say that when we think about you know, the environmental goals of highest and best use, you might know that that's one of the principles in our zero waste policy is highest and best use. And 
our whole approach, of course, with the green and blue brand is having people source separate so that we can get a higher and better use of that material, easier to market it. Well, it's a similar principle with C&D. We want to encourage source separation, but it's challenging in terms of having adequate space to do that. But this ordinance, our current system and this ordinance helps encourage or incentivize that in that if material is source separated and then delivered directly to market, doesn't have to go to through a facility to sort, you know, you have the separate commodities, then they don't have to be permitted. They don't have to pay these permit fees. Uh, and deconstruction uh, is, is part of that. So um, I'm going to leave it there in hopes that there are some questions that we can, I can help further clarify and address uh, with, with James as needed. Uh, actually, let me just say one final thing. I just wanted to summarize, I guess, again, really the, the benefit that this is giving us uh, and that we've learned is, is needed uh, you know, from the industry is that we need to have a much stronger visible presence in the field. We need to have eyes in the field. And with that, our outreach and monitoring compliance is going to help create a more level playing field for those players that are doing a good job and abiding by the law. And in doing that, we are going to help create increased resources uh, to recycle and compost and, bene and benefit the em uh, environment, as well as reducing disposal illegal dumping, and of course, encouraging source separation. So uh, with that, I will stop and thank you so much for your attention. Jack, that was great. Thank you. I appreciate all that insight and the clarity of it was awesome. I really liked the way that you broke it down. I have a couple of questions and I'd love to open it up to my fellow commissioners for questions. Um, so is the, is the idea behind this that they pay a permit and we will have more eyes on the ground, as you say, and that will act as a deterrent? Um, or is someone checking these permits at the drop-off sites? Um, is it more of a, a deterrent kind of experience or is it so is there some point where sort of what's being dropped off is being checked and or the permits are being checked at the drop-off sites? Yeah, I appreciate uh, that question, Commissioner. So it's really both. I would say it's an and. Um, you know, uh, I think with a lot of policies and enforcement, you know, you can just think of any example, including highway laws. You know, you, you can't have a, a cop uh, policeman at every intersection or whatever. But so knowing that there's a certain level of presence out there and monitoring and that we're serious about enforcement, that will ripple around and the, the word will get out. So that's clearly what we want to do. We want to show that we are serious, that we have the resources, that we will be out there in the field and that we will be doing, you know, enough uh, monitoring and being out there with giving warnings and then in citations to really do that. Now, you know, with, uh, with the partnership that we have, public works, you know, will have dedicated staff that are kind of managing that public right away. And so they'll be very present there uh, checking that. We will be going around to a lot of the job sites specifically and making sure that those trans that the contractors are hiring transporters, that those transporters are permitted, that those transporters really know what the laws are. And, you know, then we'll be asking transporters to you know, provide documentation that they actually brought it to the correct facility. We can also go to the facilities. Six of the dozen are in San Francisco, so it makes it easiest for us to be there. Uh, but we can also go to the ones outside and, you know, check. 
and there and there's a number of little things you know the thrust of this ordinance is the permit program but there are other little tweaks to help make the whole thing be integrated and work well one of them is is that we require facilities to check the transporter actually has a permit uh, and if they don't then they have to provide information to the transporter that they have to have a permit and then they need to report to us for example uh, that's actually a proposed uh, amendment to what was introduced and you know there, there are other there are other examples there around uh, making sure it all all works one of the things is that we have this um, reporting that for projects I mentioned that we're working with DBI they were using an online system uh, it's called green halo and in this online system if you're a project and you have to figure out like okay you have to fill this form out and it'll show you who are the it'll show you who the permitted haulers are that you can pick from and then it'll show you what are the approved of facilities and so it, it kind of helps feed into that and, and get uh, supported by the way it all get, gets communicated through those three systems. That's great. Thank you. Um, I, you know, this is a horrible phrase, but I but I really feel like this is giving some teeth to the prior ordinance, which is nice. And I appreciate that a lot because I think that that's in the environmental community. That's what we come up against a lot is how do we make this actionable? And so I really, I really appreciate the work that's gone into this over these past couple of years. Commissioners, do you have any comments or questions for Jack and James? Uh, th this is Mike. I have a. Uh observation and a, and a question. So the, the observation is I just want to commend the department for the really, I mean, it's, it's very apparent it's been a very thoughtful process to uh, bring this to bring this forward. The, um, uh, the, the work that you did to look at other cities of similar cities and, and see what they've done, what's worked and what's not worked well. And then also the, the outreach to stakeholders, it's, it's really, really obvious um, that a lot of thought went into this. And so I have confidence that um, that uh, that this is a, a good project and one that we should we should recommend. The I had a couple questions and one of them you've already answered, uh, Jack, which is exactly where are the the eyes on the ground going to be? Um, so I, I don't need to ask that question. But um, I want to ask about the the tier one pickups. Uh, I mean, this is described as as relating to you know C and D, but there are other reasons that somebody with a pickup might need to bring something to a landfill. It could be you know. Uh, someone's moving and they've got a lot of furniture that they've got to take, you know, used furniture they need to take to the landfill, or it could be uh, uh, an outfit that's doing a very big pruning job on a tree and needs to take the, the debris somewhere. So are those, um, are those types of pickups picked up in this as well as just anybody with a, with a pickup who's taking something to a, to a landfill that would need, need the permit? Uh, yeah, good question. Commissioner, so it's really this is this ordinance is focusing on construction demolition debris, and even and then and then it's actually focused if it's mixed because if it's source separated and we're verifying it goes straight to market like a pile of, of wood for example. Uh, outside of construction and demolition debris, then you get it what we call refuse, which is sort of our trash recycling and composting. And our mandatory ordinance that's been in place for a decade requires that people separate out recyclables, compostables, and trash. So if somebody had a load that had recyclables and compostables in it, it is not legal for them to take it to a landfill either. Uh, but that's covered by our separate mandatory ordinance. Uh, you know, typically in San Francisco, people won't drive all the way to a landfill for self-hauling. They'll go to Recology, and then what's good is Recology 
they'll sort that material and recover what they can. Uh, but it's, it's possible there could be, you know, some hauling. I think with our increased presence, you know, this it can give us an opportunity to help sort of piggyback and get synergies with our mandatory to help improve the compliance with mandatory as well. Got it. Thank you. Um, it looks like Commissioner Chu has her hand raised. I'm good, actually. I think I accidentally raised my hand. All right. Any other questions or comments, commissioners? Um, President Stevenson, if I may. Um, yeah. yeah, I would just love to give James an opportunity. He's worked so hard on this. Um, James, would you like to, you know, just talk about you're the one who's really out in the first person monitoring the situation, seeing what's needed. Um, can you talk about the importance of this to your work and, and your effectiveness and, and what it's been like for you to talk to contractors, what you've learned? Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Director Rafael. Uh, thank you, uh, commissioners, for the opportunity to speak before you this evening. Um, I, I think the CND debris recovery ordinance and how it's been implemented to date um, under our department's leadership is just another example of how we've stressed community engagement and outreach first and foremost. Um, that was always a primary tactic. And so we've been doing that since 2006. Um, this is a program completely untethered from general fund, even completely untethered from uh, impound account. Um, and so this is a competitive environment, open competitive and, and, and by design, by law, going back to the 60s. And so you have an enormous ecosystem, 60,000 building permits every year, 30,000 of them generate significant debris. Uh, because of the nature, which we appreciate and want of an open competitive hauling model, we have hundreds of companies um, coming to the city, oftentimes from far off counties because we're a magnet for this type of activity right now. And <clears throat> beyond that, we have dozens of facilities in the region that can um, accept materials. Um, this is not unique to San Francisco, the CND, um, debris ecosystem, uh, material is flowing over county lines all the time. Um, so it's a really large, vast, and complex ecosystem. And to date, we've relied on essentially one FTE to implement our ordinance uh, and oversee and monitor compliance. And we've been really good at doing that lean um, to date. But you can see um, vulnerabilities in a system of this size and the type of activity we're talking about when those get exploited, the, the consequences are, are pretty steep, 170,000 tons in other communities' landfills, um, illegal dumping in the streets. These aren't, you know, small infractions, you know, they, they do have an impact. And so we've really run the course on implementing the ordinance without any additional resources. We did a really thorough um, search to see how can we generate those resources equitably and fairly help level the playing field because there are legit businesses trying to do the right thing by the environment, by their community, and they get undercut in the bidding process by someone who's willing to go to landfill or willing to dump it illegally. And without the referee out there, um, you know, your laws are, are really a suggestion. Without the enforcement, they, for some people, your law is a suggestion. And when, when that message is um, received, um, there can be some damage that, that occurs and we're seeing that play out. And so we have a responsibility to be out there to level the playing field 
the fairest way we found to do this is to keep the hauling model open and competitive, <clears throat> bring a fee on that can be sort of absorbed by the industry at large and is in, it's, in, it's insignificant in the overall cost of a project that when you consider in labor, land, materials, insurance, that permit fee from one hauler is going to work on hundreds of jobs in the city potentially. Um, it gets spread out pretty thin. But collectively, those small fees for us mean a lot because um, we do have certain oversight right now that's working well. Like Jack said, there's projects that have to submit not only plans about how they will manage their debris, but the proof that they brought it to the right facility. And these are things we worked out agreements with DBI where just to get the permit, you have to submit your plan. To get your final inspection, you have to show your recycling receipts. So we have some really good oversight of certain projects, about 3,000 a year. Remember, 30,000 generate significant debris. We did a lot of work with the facilities to ensure that only the best performers are receiving debris from San Francisco. That is verified by a third-party model that's been touted throughout the country right now. Um, U.S. Green Building Council and LEED are, are showing that as a model way forward. So we've checked a lot of boxes on the authority we have at the bookends, the facilities and the generators of debris. And to Jack's point, the weak link in the system, if there is debris going to a landfill illegally or dumped in the streets illegally, got there on a truck. And so what we actually need is the ability to intercept activity in real time, debris being put into a, a vessel, a truck or a debris box in real time and say, A, do you have the permit to do that, to haul that type of material? You do? Great. Um, you'll follow up and you will submit the recycling receipt to us um, to prove that you brought it to the right place. So it's back to that question um, uh, from, Commissioner, uh, from Commissioner Stevenson of like, is it, is it also end? We have an outreach mechanism that's scaled up now. We're a presence. The sheriff is helping with outreach. Department of Public Works is helping with outreach. We're providing our outreach. There's a presence there, but there's also now a mechanism to actually enforce penalties when needed. Um, and that levels the playing field. And so that's the weak link is seeing the truck with the debris and saying, okay, you're, we know you're in the system. Now your job is uh, once that load is tipped somewhere, submit the receipt, prove to us it went to the right place. Thanks, James, that was great. Really appreciate all your work on this over the last couple of years, it sounds like. Thank you. Thank you. Debbie, I know that you wanted to jump back in and have a moment to have a conversation or make a make a point before we have any more conversation. No, 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 I'm good. It, it was we did. I was just Charles. Did it front. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, so I want to be really clear with all my commissioners that um, I'm excited about this and I'm very in supportive. I'm very in support of it. Um, and I, I'm also aware that I want us to deploy the might of the commission at the time where it's going to make the most impact. So my actual recommendation on this is that we don't take action on it right now, but potentially push off taking action on it until just before um, the supervisors get it as a whole and um, where it's going to make the most impact. I'm totally open to conversation around that, but this was for discussion and or action. And um, I really appreciate this entire conversation. And um, I'm really excited about the work that's gone into this. Any more discussion or comments from commissioners? Is, is that recommendation also supported by staff? It is. The delay? Yeah. It is. Great. Thank you. But you might want to hear from the public if they have something to add to that. But I, yeah, it is. All right. Seeing no more commissioners. Oops. I'm sorry. Commissioner Bermejo, your hand is raised. 
Now, I just wanted to add a thought about, um, do we know when the Board of Supervisors might be taking this up or how long that is going to take? Thank you for that question. We actually do not. Um, and I think there's honestly some heartburn. There's a couple areas of heartburn. One is timing in terms of the economy and the perception on, you know, is this the right time to be adding a new fee? And then the other, although I don't think people, I don't think there's any heartburn about the policy itself. And there is still a lot of discussion about jurisdiction um, with Public Works and us. So staff level have worked that out pretty well, but the supervisor, I think, alluded to this when he said, there's some more discussion and explanation that's gonna need to happen as you know, there's a lot of scrutiny going on right now about what's going on in public works. And I think there is some uh, questions about overlapping authorities or who's gonna do what. And we we have some work to do on that. And you know, it may change the ordinance, which we will come back and, or the proposal, and we'll come back and let you know. So I think that uh, President Stevenson put it very well in terms of maximizing the, the timing. So I don't, but the short answer is, sorry, I don't actually know the precise date. All right, Katie, I would love to open it to public comment. Great, so we can open it up for public comment at this time and I will put the instructions back up on the screen for anyone who is joining via WebEx. One second. So the instructions are now back up on the screen. So if you would like to make a public comment related to this agenda item, uh, please dial the number on the screen and remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I do see that we have one caller in the queue. And so I will go ahead and unmute them now and your three minutes will start now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Excellent. Uh, David Pilpel, sorry I was delayed. The PUC uh, meeting just ended a few minutes ago and I was stuck there. Uh, I, on item five, the CND uh, uh, re uh, debris recovery uh, ordinance uh, amendments, I have not I apologize, I have not reviewed the legislation in detail, but I do support it and the considerable staff work uh, behind it, um, establishing uh, and changing the, the fees and the definitions and the enforcement and all of that with the debris boxes. And it, it, it's a complicated scheme, but the, the goal is to uh, uh, improve uh, resource recovery uh, from uh, uh, C and D materials uh, and be able to uh, patrol and enforce, and which is complicated in, by itself. Um, and so, great work um, to everybody on that. Uh, I recognize that you're intending to uh, delay um, uh, based on uh, the further discussions and, and refinement. That's fine, but I just wanted to express my support at this time. Uh, also, note uh, depending on how the new Department of uh, Sanitation and Streets that the uh, voters in their <clears throat> um, um, that the voters chose to uh, create through Proposition B, depending on how that involve, evolves, uh, this ordinance may need uh, more review in the future, but that's uh, at least a year and a half uh, off. Um, and uh, sorry to digress for a second, since I was in the PUC meeting earlier, I'm not asking you to uh, reopen the 
uh, item on the minutes, uh, but if you could uh, just uh, allow uh, Katie to uh, go back and fix uh, page five of the minutes from the September meeting. Uh, Denise Deanne did not have her last name in there, and I think it would be good. Uh, it says Denise, but if you could just insert D apostrophe capital A N N E on page five of the minutes, um, I think that would be good for the record. Then I'm all set. Thank you on item five. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Anyone else? I'm not seeing any additional callers in the queue. All right, then. Um, do we have to pause or are we good? Uh, no, I think we're good. <laughs> All right, then let's move on to the next item, please, Katie. Great, thank you. Okay, we'll move on to our next item, which is agenda item six, presentation and discussion on the Department Racial Equity Plan. The sponsor is Deborah Raphael, director, and the speakers are Cindy Comerford, climate program manager, Soko Made, city government, zero waste senior coordinator, and Shrada Mehta, senior environmental justice coordinator. And the document, the explanatory document is the San Francisco Department of the Environment Racial Equity Plan phase one. And this item is for discussion. Sorry, I was muted. Director Raphael, please take it away. Thank you, President Stevenson. So this presentation that you're getting tonight is our phase one racial equity action plan. And this is a draft plan. It is not the plan that's going to the Board of Supervisors at the end of the calendar year because we haven't heard from you. And we're also absorbing information from staff but it is a very good draft. And so obviously we're very proud and excited to share it with you. And I think the thing, the most important thing for me to say right now is the, my deep gratitude for the amount of work that is behind this um, draft that you're seeing. The Office of Racial Equity uh, came in in our world midstream. We'd already been working on our racial equity plan phase one, which is an internally focused phase for many months and they came in with a template uh, that was a little bit overwhelming to us in its breadth. Uh, and this staff that you're gonna hear from were not daunted. They grabbed that bull by the horns and they wrestled it um, until they were able to focus and elucidate the entirety of our phase one plan. So I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful. One of the things I wanna say in this is that this, is, this plan doesn't come out of thin air. Uh, the department and myself uh, personally as director have been focused on equity uh, for my career as well as for the department, as long as the department's been in existence. And you've seen that in a lot of different ways. You've seen that in our focus on saving money and improving quality of life using superior energy efficiency technologies, protecting custodians, nail salon workers, dry cleaners, painters, children, families from exposure to toxic chemicals, providing services in public housing to achieve zero waste and save money, reduce illegal dumping. We've had a focus on equity in our work. It's been a very core part of who we are. But I've come to realize, like the rest of my colleagues in the world, that that's not enough, that there is a deeper level of evaluation that needs to go on if we are going to tackle systemic racism 
and understand what it means to be operating, especially in the environmental field, from a place of white privilege. And so I start with myself, and I've started with myself and my own journey, my own training on uh, white fragility, my own training on the history of racism. And I've supported through my actions, through my statements, through my resource allocation, that all staff get trained, starting with implicit bias a few years ago, to racial equity, to having regular discussions to normalize conversations about race in every staff meeting at least once a month. Uh, it has become a very explicit part, it meaning equity and our role in every conversation that we have in the department. So my commitment to this plan, and I, I feel it's really important to say this to you in public on the record, so you can hold me accountable and that everyone can hear how I look at this plan. So there are four, I have four commitments that I wanna state right now. The first is to elicit and utilize input from a wide number of people, from internal staff, to our commission, to the Office of Racial Equity, to what other departments are doing, and to what our community partners are doing. So I am listening and I am soliciting and we will use that input. The second is to prioritize implementation because I know that a plan is only as good as the actions involved and that there are 90 actions that the Office of Racial Equity is saying need to be done. And we can't do 90 actions immediately. So we have to prioritize and then define our metrics of success and share those. And so my third commitment is to report back to you so that you will have an ongoing understanding of where we are and what our progress looks like, as well as our challenges. Because there is going to be, without a doubt, challenges to implementing some of this. And the fourth is to consider this a living document, that this is the first plan that we are doing as a department. And there is no doubt to me that it will change and evolve and become more vibrant and more real as we progress. So we are going to submit this plan at the end of the calendar year. You are not voting on it right now because it is not in a form for you to vote on. It is a form for you to contemplate, to get back to us on, and to ask us questions about. There are a lot of questions that have already been raised in the operations committee. Um, some of them are legal in nature. Whose authority is it to, to do what? And we asked to uh, have a, a, an attorney here and the city attorney's office felt that that was not an appropriate venue to do that. Having said that, the questions are appropriate. So Charles will be listening. He will be writing down questions. He may even jump in for clarification or steering the conversation. But I've invited Charles to very much be the curator of our legal questions so that we can get you answers you want. We also know that a lot of this requires partnership from a very important department, the Department of Human Resources. And so we have asked and they have to come tonight if there are questions, they don't have presentations. Our very own Adam Romolowski, who is our, he is our representative at DHR, he 100% um, our guy, and he's the one doing a lot of the work on our analyses of our hiring and looking at the um, barriers that we have to a diverse uh, candidate pool. He's already immersed in that work, so he can speak to that if you have questions. And then Mawuli Tubenyo, who is now uh, a deputy at 
Department of Human Resources. He is here if you have larger questions about where is DHR going, what are the priorities. You know, he agreed to be here tonight if you've got questions. So with that, I want to thank you for your input. The comments you came out of the Operations Committee were already key to shaping this document. Uh, very thoughtful, very helpful, and I know we'll get lots more. So with that, I just want to say Soko, Shraddha, Cindy, Elizabeth, you are amazing leaders in our department, and I turn it over to you now to walk us through this plan. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Debbie, for that introduction. And good evening, commission members, and to our community listening, I'm gonna start our presentation. Uh, okay, can I get some verbal confirmation that you can see my presentation? We can see it, but it's not maximized, so it's okay. small. So let me put this in slide view. Okay, and can I get confirmation that everyone can see the presentation in a larger view? Yes. Great, thank you. Um, so thank you everyone for taking the time to engage with us on discussing racial equity. My name is Cindy Cumberford. I am the Climate Program Manager. Um, and I'm excited today for our racial equity leaders, uh, Shraddha Mehta from our environmental justice team and Soko Maid from our zero waste team to present on phase one of our racial equity plan. This plan will focus on our internal programs and policies, and this plan is really meant to ensure the well-being of our staff, um, especially our staff of color. This plan is really an honest assessment of our past and the areas we need to improve upon. But what's most important about this plan, it not only looks at some of the underlying structural issues, but it has actions and a clear path forward. Um, this plan is really the beginning of a transparent roadmap of the work we need to do as a department to dismantle structural racism. And while we have made some accomplishments and the completion of this plan will be a big milestone, we still know there's a huge amount of work to do. So I'd like to talk a little bit about what we'll be covering today. So we'll present a overview of our racial equity plan process um, we'll briefly run through our timeline since we last presented um, to the full commission uh, about a year ago. We'll discuss the new guidance we received from the Office of Racial Equity. We'll talk about the structure of our phase one plan and a little bit about our staff engagement. And then lastly, we'll move on to some of the content of the plan. And then finally, we'll share next steps on as of what's being presented today is a draft. So I'm gonna first turn it over to Soko, one of our racial equity leaders, to start the presentation. Thank you. Okay, okay. thank you, Cindy. Um, good evening, commissioners. I'm Soko Made with the Zero Waste Program. And as Debbie and um, Cindy have alluded to, a lot has changed since we last came before you um, at the beginning of the year. In addition to the pandemic, which has resulted in a lot of staff being out, either due to being reassigned to disaster service work, on leave due to school closures or challenges or other challenges, 
the other big change that occurred was the creation of the Office of Racial Equity. Um, they hired some staff and have been convening with city agencies to ensure the work of the various departments will help bring about the systemic change that is needed. As a result of this, our timeline and plan of action has shifted quite a bit. Um, we received the framework and racial equity action plan um, phase one template from the Office of Racial Equity in June and also completed a vulnerable population uh, assessment of our budget. We have been facilitating all staff engagement on the phase one of the plan. We've been completing the implementation matrix of the template. We've solicited input from our operations um, committee of the commission during the October meeting. And we also um, reviewed the plan with the Department of, um, sorry, with the Office of Racial Equity. Um, off to today, we'll be incorporating feedback and doing a final review with leadership so that we, we can submit the plan to the Office of Racial Equity, the Board of Supervisors, and the mayor on December 31st, 2020. And then of course, after that, um, in 2021, we'll be working on phase two and of course, implementing phase one of our plan. Next slide. As you recall, um, or may recall, we originally came up with 16 proposed actions within three main categories. And these were hiring, both within SFE's purview and outside of SFE's purview, work environment and staff understanding, and then staff growth and advancement. Next slide. ORI's framework and template of phase one includes a set of actions that all departments must commit to. And fortunately, the previous work that we did is not lost. And I will talk about that a little bit later in our presentation. Next slide. So the template that we've seen um, include seven sections, hiring and recruitment, retention and promotion, discipline and separation, diverse and equitable leadership, um, mobility and professional development, organizational culture of inclusion and belonging, and then boards and commissions. Within those seven sections, are they're separated out into 18 strategies, and these strategies are then separated out into 82 actions that each department must complete. Uh, and then there's an implement, uh, sorry, implementation template for each action, which I will discuss in the next slide. So this is an example of the implementation template. Um, each section allows departments to include department-specific goals and actions as needed. It is important to note, as Debbie has said, that this is a living document and that departments will be working on the actions over a period of time. It's also important to note, again, that some of these actions are outside of our purview. So we are working collaboratively with the Department of Human Resources, others, city departments, and the Office of Racial Equity. The actions and sample indicators were pre-populated by the Office of Racial Equity and departments are supposed to fill out the blank sections, including resources committed to the action, implementation steps, timeline for completion, status of completion, and the staff. These indicators will help us track our progress, which will, we will have to report to the Office of Racial Equity on annually. Next slide. As I mentioned earlier, all the in 
that was provided before is not lost. We compared our how the 16 proposed actions we had originally developed synced up with um, the Office of Racial Equities template. The areas where there is little alignment is either because it is an action that um, the Office of Racial Equity has identified in phase one that we had identified for phase two, or COVID has made certain things a higher priority now versus when we had done our staff survey pre-COVID. Next slide. The draft plan um, that was provided to you is in, is, has been separated into three parts. So part one sets the context for the plan. Part two includes the actions and implementation template. And then part three contains the appendices, which include our original 16 actions and our staff survey analysis. Next slide. Okay. Staff engagement has been a little different due to COVID. As you recall, we did in-person workshop and a staff survey last year, but this year we had to resort to a virtual approach. Um, this included our racial equity steering committee doing a lot of work in putting information into the implementation template. We presented progress updates to senior staff and again to the commission operations committee where we collected valuable feedback. We also took a team by team approach for providing updates to staff. The steering committee members presented at each of the team meetings. And then we sent a feedback form to all staff where they picked three strategies to prioritize over the next two years. We then held an all staff meeting where results were shared and a virtual breakout room engagement happened. And then again, we um, reviewed our draft plan with the Office of Racial Equity. Next slide. Just to talk a little bit more about the staff priorities, um, as I said, we sent out the survey and based on the results of the survey, the staff feedback form to prioritize strategies, five strategies um, received the most votes. And these strategies included um, one from hiring and recruitment to really look at strengthening recruitment and hiring strategies to attract and cultivate diverse candidates at all levels of the department. Within retention and promotion, there were actually two strategies that um, staff voted on. The first was um, ensuring that salaries and benefits meet or exceed industry standards um, while actively pursuing income equity. Um, and then also creating paths to promotion that are transparent and work to advance equity. Next slide. Um, the fourth one was diverse and equitable leadership. So committing to developing a diverse and equitable leadership that will foster culture of inclusion and belonging. And then finally, organizational culture of inclusion and belonging, basically um, fostering an intentional organization that is committed to inclusion and belonging. And with that, I'm now gonna turn it over to my colleague Shredda to um, talk a little bit about the initial feedback we've received from the Office of Racial, uh, Racial Equity, and then walk through the content of the plan and next steps. Thank you, Shoko. I am Shrepa I'm with the Environmental Justice Team at the department, which is under our climate program. So two days before Thanksgiving, four members of our Racial Equity Core Team 
met with the director and staff at the Office of Racial Equity and received some very thoughtful and extensive feedback on the same draft plan that you all received. And while, um, while ORE was appreciative of the detailed departmental context and staff survey analysis that was included in the draft plan, they felt that the overall plan was muted. They encouraged SFE to develop departmental goals for each section of the plan that are more specific and visionary. And they also recommended that we include department-specific actions and actions that help support citywide change beyond what was prescribed by ORE. They suggested that we add granularity to our timelines and resources committed to ensure accountability. And lastly, they encouraged us to look inward to explore how our existing department budget excuse me, could support racial equity work. So while we have yet to incorporate feedback provided by ORE, we have begun thinking about changes that need to be made. For example, we had originally tried to align our goals with what was in our draft strategic plan. However, the strategic plan is a higher level document. <coughs> excuse me. So we're now working with our steering committee members to revise the goals for each section so they're more specific to the needs of our department and with respect to the focus area of each section. We're also trying to determine if there are additional department-specific actions that should be added to any of the sections. To add details about resources committed, um, instead of saying staff time, we may estimate the number of staff hours needed or the type of consultant that would be needed. And to add granularity in our timelines, we will likely include quarters rather than only um, specify the year an action would be implemented. Lastly, we may add additional implementation steps to particular actions. For example, there may be some implementation steps to examine how we can work within our existing budget since our department doesn't receive general fund support. Next slide, please. And as Soko mentioned, part two of our draft plan includes our implementation template. The implementation plan was developed with consideration of data from our workforce assessment, as well as staff feedback through our surveys and meetings. And I'll share a few examples of this. Next slide. On March 10th, 2020, the San Francisco Department of Human Resources published the first annual workforce report for the city, which included the demographic composition of all city and county of San Francisco departments and the Bay Area available workforce demographics for the 10 Bay Area counties. The first column in this table is SFE's demographic composition. The second column is the demographic composition of all CCSF departments. And the last column shows the comparison with the demographic composition of the Bay Area available workforce. So what stands out in this table is that more than half of our staff are white, and that percentage is greater than the average for all city departments and for the Bay Area available workforce. Next slide, please. 
when we drill down to staff classifications, you can see that SFE's limited term trainee classifications, which are our 9920 and 9922 series, are more diverse, while our managerial positions have less diversity. Overall, our specific environmental jobs uh, series, which includes the 5638 to 5644 classifications, are predominantly white. And in order to not identify individual employees in subsections of the full workforce, demographic data regarding the composition of specific job classes is displayed in the aggregate of BIPOC, and that's Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, rather than by referencing specific races or ethnicities. Next slide. To address these workforce data findings, we have identified some implementation steps. A few examples include revising our minimum and desirable qualifications in job announcements, standardizing recruitment and hiring practices, developing expanded recruitment lists to reach BIPOC networks, completing a more detailed workforce assessment to track stages of recruitment and hiring and assess promotional appointments and evaluating classifications with lack of employee diversity and developing strategies and training opportunities for employees in lower classifications to achieve mobility into higher classifications. These are included in our implementation template as part of um, part two of our uh, draft plan. Next slide, please. As I mentioned earlier, we also reviewed feedback from staff from our staff survey and meetings and used that data as well to inform our implementation plan. For example, one of the questions we asked in our survey was, how would I become more involved in racial equity work? What's notable here is that while a similar percentage of staff of color and white staff expressed the need for more time and resources, Staff of color marked needing management and leadership support to increase their involvement at higher rates than white staff. It's also noticeable, notable that more white staff indicated the need for more information and training than staff of color. In addition, comments submitted by staff identified a variety of training needs from education on allyship, and white fragility to help incorporating equity into technical work. Next slide. To address these survey findings, we identified some implementation steps. Recently, our department institutionalized discussions of racial equity at senior staff meetings and team meetings, um, so for each program area at the department. And allowed us, or DHR allowed us to use a list that you had so, or a, you know, a service that you had for allows to post. So yes, sure. Um, so we uh, have had in place for about the last uh, year and a half a diversity recruitment team um, that has been working so far to sort of build up some relationships in the community. They're also uh, working to um, um, put together a diversity recru recruitment toolkit that we intend to share with departments um, very shortly. I think uh, it's on me to provide a few last edits to it, 
and then we're going to have it out in the world to help um, all the departments. Um, and really, that is to just um, provide some guidance on how to recruit, where to recruit, you know, social media, um, historically black colleges, you know, it's a whole very comprehensive toolkit. So that's something we're working on. And they have a number of other strategies that they are, um, they're, they're a very small but mighty team. Um, and we're, we're working on getting them some more help, but uh, they do have a, a, a number of projects that they are working on to support departments with um, um, recruitment and diverse recruitment in particular. And we're really looking forward to getting that help. Your third question, Commissioner Ahn, I think is, I would answer it um, a little bit related to your second question in terms of what is the role of the commission. Uh, and so I don't think that the commission perhaps has a big role in HR policy or HR practices, except to ask really good questions and to ask us you know, what's possible and can you push and um, pointing out areas where you think that we as a city need to do better. Where I think that at least initially I can see a big help is in the recruitment aspect of your networks. Uh, we, we do a lot of letting people know through our own personal networks. We ask all the staff, who do you know? What organizations do you know? How can you help recruit? So that's the first thing I would say right now in terms of the role of the commission. And of course, the other role of the commission is always, and it's the for me, the superpower of the commission is to ask questions because sometimes when you're within a system like I've been, for example, for as many years as I am, I don't even think about saying why. Why are we doing it that way? You know, and so it's always great to have a fresh set of eyes, take a look and ask the question, is there another way? So asking questions and recruitment are short-term answers for, for you, um, Commissioner Ahn. I would like to invite my colleagues who gave the presentation if they have any other things that they would like to add in answer to Commissioner Ahn's question. Sure, thanks Debbie. Um, I would like to add that there is a boards and commissions section of the racial equity action plan at section seven. And there are some implementation steps that we've um, suggested. We did incorporate some of the ideas that came out of the operations committee meeting in October. But if the commission has feedback on um, additional ways that that the commission could support these efforts, um, we would welcome your feedback. One of the sections, uh, one of the strategies that's in section seven is also about mentorship and work with communities. And um, that's an area that I feel like we could explore more with the commission too. Thank you, Shraddha. Okay. So, um, I have a question as I go through, you know, looking at the draft plan, um, which, you know, I'm, I tend to be a sort of a technically focused person. So I very much appreciate the, the section where it's like project and program and population engagement, percent of budget, money and accomplishments. In some of the, the section on the right where it says accomplishments, there are specific pieces of data that say things like five stakeholder meetings, you know, with, with you know, people with the childcare services. Um, are there 
for every one of our pieces of the plan, is there a goal? Is there a number that, that sits there in the right-hand column that we're working toward so that we can measure our effectiveness against it? And if there is, if there isn't, I would recommend that there is. And if there isn't, um, or if there is, is there, um, does that permeate the entire organization? So that if I'm a person who is not in charge of the entire piece of business, <laughs> of, of, of the entire work that we're doing, but, or and I'm not on the steering committee, then I know and I internalize the importance of it just as much as everybody else because my end of year review or my own personal growth in the department is tied to those numbers as well. Does it, does it go to that level or will it go to that level in the planning? So let's tackle that question in two parts. Um, so the first part I wanna tackle is are there metrics? And uh, if not, what happens? So Shraddha, Soko, Cindy, you wanna talk about metrics? Yes, so there is an indicators column in part two of the plan, it's the implementation table. And that's how we will be measuring our progress on um, each of the actions that are that are in the um, the racial equity action plan. And so, if you have recommendations for additional indicators, that would be helpful. But it, that's that's how we measure. How do we know if anything has changed? I think the five meetings example that you gave, Commissioner Stevenson, is more of. Um, an output rather than an outcome. And what we wanna really focus on is the outcomes and that's how do we know if anyone is better off? And so some ways that we would do that are um, our staff, our annual staff surveys um, that will continue to see if anything has changed. And that um, with respect to everyone owning some of the um, metrics around um, implementing this plan, one of the action items says that each individual, each staff person's um, PPAR, which is the performance, Debbie, you might have to help me with this. Perf PPAR, performance appraisal. appraisal and review. review. <laughs> yeah, review. <laughs> performance plan, basically, each individual's performance plan would include racial equity goals. Um, that align with our overall racial equity action plan and some personal goals as well around racial equity so that we're all working on it together. Um, in addition, Debbie has put out to all staff um, at the end of our last all staff meeting where we discussed this um, draft action plan, a, um, an opportunity for staff to volunteer to help implement specific actions that um, they are um, passionate about and that they want to help support the department effort to implement. So we are going to be including um, volunteers from our staff volunteers in um, helping us implement the plan. That's great. I appreciate that insight. I also think that um, looking at the indicators, I think that when you're starting something new, it's always um, very difficult to put a number to something because you're like, I just want it to be better, right? Like it needs to be better each year, you know, it's going to be moving. But I think that after we sort of establish a baseline against these goals, the next iteration should be actually, we want to increase it by 10% or we want six, you know, candidates that 
exhibit these characteristics before we get to the interview process or whatever the thing is. Like, I think that actually putting the numbers against it, um, I think makes a big difference in sort of feeling like it's something that's achievable and also aspirational that we can reach out for. So um, I that's... couldn't agree with you more. That was beautifully put. And that's what I mean. That's what I think we all mean by a living document is that, and that's really what the Office of Racial Equity wants, is they say, you know, you've got to start with a baseline because how do you know you've even moved the needle? And so for many departments right now, they're struggling with that indicators metrics part. What does it look like? And then what does movement look like? And I think that will be a real uh, exploration part for us. Commissioners, are there any other comments? Sarah, Commissioner Wan. Uh, yeah, it's more like a technical question. I, I think this is really time to, for me to ask questions and understand the plan better. So, for example, in the hiring, the action plan, I know you classify each action by priority, impact, and difficulties, right? So, when I look at the uh, hiring opportunity area, there are three high priority action items, which is either work with the unions or work with DHR, which is not easy at all, and I can see the difficulty level is very high. But I also see the strategically expand recruitment efforts to help the department attract more diverse pool of applicants for party as medium uh, instead of high. Um, I'm just wondering what is the rationale behind it, and is that the sequence of action as well? Yeah, uh, so, I do have another question, but this is yeah, a yeah, question. No, it's a great question, and what I think you're raising is. The first time we did our survey and then the second. So Soko Shrada, Cindy, who wants to answer the, the question? Hi, this is Cindy, I can step in. Okay. So I believe what you're referring to, when we originally um, did our staff engagement, we uh, had a session where we asked staff to prioritize what they thought was most important for the department to focus on. And so those prioritization categories came from staff participation, um, how they felt we should prioritize our resources and staff time on moving forward actions in that area. So that's where the prioritization came from. And will the sequence of like the action plan be uh, going by the prioritization? Like, no, um, no. So not from that prioritization. And that's where, so you're uncovering something, Commissioner Juan, that is hard for us to explain. We started on this process before the Office of Racial Equity existed. And so we came up with our own internal system and we did a whole in-person work and came up with these priorities and, and staff voted on what they wanted. And then the Office of Racial Equity came and said, great that you've done that. But here's the 90 things we actually think you need to focus on. And so then we started to take that table, which is very clear and easy, and overlay it with those 90 things and then prioritize from there. So I think, Commissioner Wong, the, the short answer is we don't have a prioritization to share with you yet in terms of what we will do. What you did point out, though, and I think it's really important, is that there are some things we have a lot of control over and some things we don't. And so we certainly need to prioritize movement in things where we have the control. And then we also need to commit, and this is really important to the Office of Racial Equity, that we're gonna join in a citywide conversation 
about the things we don't have complete control over. That it's no longer okay for our department to say, well, you know what? DHR told us to do that. So we're, we're stuck. That that's how systemic racism stays because the parties feel like they have no agency. So we need to participate. And Shraddha and Soko can talk about working groups that are happening to try and tackle these things. So I'm sorry for the confusion with those different systems. Um, we will get to you early next year what our prioritization is so that you'll be able to see what we're actually committing to in 2021, in which quarter of 2021. That doesn't exist yet in the document, which is probably why you're pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. I just worry that the external track will really hold off to all these other important things that we could possibly control internally, and so that we can move parallel both internal and external development. Um, I, I know I'm very fast-paced, but I'm just worried that it would just get caught in all this, like, our control. Uh, absolutely. The other part of the question is, since we have the DHR staff here, I would just like to ask if they will have any Rather than reinvent the wheel, do they have any like good model from other departments that we can hear from you about? Like what's the best practice for hiring, especially also I'm interested in the internal career advancement. Uh, I think talent management has been very key for the success of any de department or industry and it has been very challenging. I think both for nonprofit and government. So I just really want to see what kind of recommendations that other department or other models that other department has been uh, implementing that has been great that we can see as a best practice. Adam Mawuli. Sure. Uh, I think those are the two area hiring and career advancement within a department. Yeah. Um, so hiring, um, I think probably everybody knows takes a long time in the city. Um, we are um, beholden to civil service and the merit merit system um, and there's reasons um, behind that um, but um, we, we, we do know it takes too long and we know that there is there are ways that we can uh, improve the time it takes to hire we're constantly trying to improve the process constantly trying to streamline the testing um, and so you know when I when I came over to DHR about a year ago from the mayor's office, I mean, these are the things that I wanted to work on. Um, and then of course COVID hit. And so um, <clears throat> one of the, I, I mentioned we, we did a review of uh, you know eight key areas. And of course um, I mentioned minimum qualifications, which is a, a part of the hiring process, um, but the um, hiring, um, itself is was is another um, piece that we're uh, doing a 2020 review of of course and will be part of our uh, racial equity action plan um, you know there is a uh, there's the uh, rule of three scores um, for um, people that uh, for certification of um, tests and um, we do usually recommend that departments expand that rule to 10, we see that that usually results in a um, better diversity of, of new hires. And so that's that's one thing, but um, I don't know, I guess I'll just say we, we know it takes a long time uh, to hire um, and, and we're um, just undergoing a, a process to, to figure out how we can address that. It's a big issue for us. 
Technically, talent management. Sorry. Talent management was the se second thing that um, Commissioner Wan was asking. Do you have examples of best practices on how we, you know, keep people and promote them and help? I mean, I think that's what you were asking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I guess I would say that um, retention is uh, we, and I hate, hate to sort of keep saying that we're reviewing it, but I mean that that really is a lot of what we're doing. I mean we don't have good um, data on what turnover looks like in our um, in city employment. Um, we don't really do exit interviews like we should. Um, and so that those are things that we are um, beginning to collect and beginning to develop so we can understand um, people that are leaving. Why are they leaving? Was it because of their manager? Was it because of the pay? We don't know yet. Um, and um, turnover is a, a really serious indicator of, you know, the culture of um, city uh, employment or any organization in general. And so that's that's something that we're also looking um, um, into. Adam, do you wanna talk a little bit about our exit interview strategy and some of the work we're doing on to try and understand talent management in our department? Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Um, yeah, as far as exit interviews, we've been able to, I guess we're a little ahead of the curve on this one where we've implemented a, an exit interview um, process for um, staff who are leaving, um, sort of try to gather data uh, uh, from, from staff who are exiting the department um, and analyze it and hopefully um, pull results out of it and turn it into useful data. Um, one of the, the difficulties with talent um, or talent retention and promotion um, is just the, the, the size of the department and the number of vacancies. So um, we're drilling down into the data to look at promotions and also look at uh, who's not promoting, who's sort of um, been in uh, the same position for a while and um, are developing strategies to um, dig into that. Um, and uh, that may, may be sort of a qualitative interview um, with, with folks in, um, who are in the, the same position uh, to pull data out of that. So we're um, looking at you know, the sort of um, functional limitations that we're trying to develop strategies to work within and around to um, try to get better and see where there's room for improvement and you know, to remove Barriers. Uh, Commissioner Hahn, it looks like your arm is raised again. Yes, just a, a brief follow-up to Commissioner Wan's question. So is, is there a city department we can emulate or is there just not enough data yet to really answer that question? Well, uh, most, um, uh, with the exception of DPH, to some degree and MTA to some degree, um, hiring is, uh, uh, is a DHR process. Um, so, I mean, it is a process that we own and we uh, work with the civil, uh, under civil service rules. Um, but yeah, it is a process that, that DHR owns. Commissioner Ron, to your, to, oh, I'm sorry, Adam, go ahead. Uh, just to expand on what Amu said, um, yeah, so there's basically best practices, rules and procedures that exist on a citywide level. And so one of the challenges is what we're doing as part of the racial equity um, action plan is to work within those rules to, again, identify barriers and 
and um, you know, figure out areas we can improve upon um, you know, to to expand on best practices. Um, like for instance, like the the recruitment strategy where you know, we're we're expanding on what's what's generally done to try to do a more targeted, more strategic uh, recruitment strategy. Um, and this is one of the areas too where there's you know these are there are citywide working groups convened of you know people um, subject matter experts from different departments, um, uh, labor uh, labor leaders, uh, racial equity leaders. Um, getting together to um, talk about this. I think that's what Abu alluded to, um, that um, will, results from that will be coming out that will identify, um, uh, my understanding is will identify like additional best practices and, and strategies that can be implemented uh, currently and future focused. So I would love to ask uh, Soko if you would just share, I mean, Adam just brought this up, but you, you participate in um, through ORE in conversations with your colleagues in other departments, and so even if there is not a blessed best strategy, you uh, talk to the planning department. You're always looking out. Can you just share how you are and your colleagues are sharing information to help our department do better? Sure. So as Adam has already alluded to, there have been um, working groups that have been convened um, with the racial equity leaders. We just created a teams group. So this is gonna be like a hub where all the racial equity leaders can share best practices. We, um, I know that for our plan, we've been working closely with planning. So our racial equity action plan is um, kind of similar to what planning has been doing. And then in terms of um, best practices, if we're looking at hiring and recruitment, um, just seeing what's out there and trying to work with Adam to put together structures where, where it's not just someone in our department anymore who is um, putting out those hiring, sorry, putting out those recruitment strategies, but really having it be institutionalized within our department so it's streamlined and automated and then trying to find resources for that. So. A lot of this has just been talking to see where we can pull together and share this. Thanks. Commissioner Chu. Hi, um, thank you for preparing such a rigorous and thorough plan. Um, I'm curious, just in the interest of achieving impact quickly and low-hanging fruit. Um, I understand the process that's necessary to, you know, submit the plan and then, you know, get the feedback from all the stakeholders. But I'm just curious from like a direct impact to staff and employee standpoint, what do you think is the most impactful thing that that will come out of the plan? Like what is the fastest thing that we can implement that um, we will be able to increase the feeling of belonging amongst the, the employees? That's a great question. Cindy, what do you think? Um, so just going back to our, our presentation, we did have staff identify five priority areas they really wanted our uh, racial equity team and the rest of the department to focus on. So just to reiterate what those were, it was uh, hiring and recruitment, which we've talked a lot about today. Um, even though the process is very long, I think we'll see some really significant changes within the next six months. Um, retention and promotion, diverse and equitable leadership, and also operational culture and inclusion and belonging. So th those are the areas that we're gonna start on first. There were staff priorities, and um, we have a, a lot of different actions that we're already undergoing um, and support from um, different departments 
and uh, different people throughout the city. And, and I would just, if I may, um, Shraddha Soko, do you, do you have an idea of what you think is that thing that will make, that'll increase the sense of belonging within those five that would do it fastest and would be most important? And the reason why I ask it, just to give more context to my question, is like, if I'm a department employee right now and I'm, you know, feeling, you know, underappreciated and undervalued for some reason or another, like if I see these five things and I know that it's going to take like, you know, a year for, you know, the the HR folks and the leadership to like come up with a hiring and promotion guidelines and, you know, that, that just seems like it's going to take a long time. Like what is going to keep me from, you know, leaving or looking for another job when, um, you know, I might want to see action a little bit more quickly. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. Yes, I think that, I think our staff survey was really valuable in that regard because staff shared a lot of feedback about things that they would like to see changed. And so um, I think ongoing education and training across the whole department is going to be really important. Continuing the, con the difficult conversations about race, um, just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, having these discussions at team meetings, senior staff meetings, and talking about these issues will make a difference. And then um, listening to staff and what their needs are um, and prioritizing our implementation based on staff needs. So in the implementation template, we did base our timeline, our draft timeline, um, according to what staff identified as their highest priorities. And um, we made those actions um, come first. So they would be the ones that we would focus on over the first couple years of implementation. I'd like to add um, just to that, also being able to apply racial equity work to the actual work that we're doing. I think, mm -hmm. yes, it's great to be able to think about, you know, be self-aware and understand what our limitations are or like what our privilege is, but a lot of people now are wanting to know how do I apply this to the work that I'm doing? We yeah. can always work on ourselves, but really what we need to try and focus on is how do we, yeah, how do we apply it to the work that we're doing? So really working with, you know, within the teams, to keep implementing the racial equity tools um, that we have started creating, maybe create different ones, but really trying to start operationalizing in the work that we're doing, how we bring that to community. Yeah. Great, and I'd just like to add one last thing. When we presented internally to staff um, on phase one of a racial equity plan, we did put a call out for anyone who was interested in participating that they are welcome to come and ha help. And when I looked at the list of uh, staff, you know, people who are really passionate about certain areas and want to see them accelerate did sign up to help. So I think mm -hmm. seeing people engaged and able to participate in the plan um, hopefully will help inspire them that these actions are going to move forward and result in positive change. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Commissioner Bermejo, you have your hand raised. Yes. Um, thank you. And first of all, thank you so much for the thoughtful work that goes into this, something like this. It's a huge undertaking. 
and there are so many things to think about. And I was wondering, since we're all under COVID-19, we're all working from home and we haven't really seen coworkers in a very long time. And I'm, I'm wondering how we think the impact of sort of re-immersing ourselves back in the workforce, how that is going to impact the implementation of some of these plans or do we, you know, there, there's isolationism, people are sort of in their own world a little bit. And I was just wondering if we think that might be how the plan might be impacted, not just for our department, but, but, but for other, um, the HR office or other departments, city departments, and for that matter, those people who are just dis distance working or working from home. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this distance is taking a toll on all of us. Uh, and we try uh, in our senior staff meetings almost every week, we talk about what we are doing to keep people motivated and connected and feeling connected. Uh, it's really, it's, it's hard. And I think that when we come back together, which I'm going to say when, not if, but when we yeah. come back together in our new space in 1155 market, uh, hopefully July 1, that's my hope, I don't know. Um, I think there will be, I think it'll make implementation easier because I think we'll be seeing each other and, and supporting each other. Um, I don't, it's a very deep question and I'm not sure that I have an answer except to say that we have to pay attention have to see how people are feeling and ask them how they're feeling and have compassion for those that are suffering from this isolation or from childcare duties when they're trying to do their work. And I'm, you know, we've got lots of staff who have young children and are really hurting uh, to do everything. So I don't know if my colleagues have something else they would want to add to Commissioner Bermejo's point she's raising. You know, I think I just want to acknowledge what a tremendous job that both Soko and Shada have done during COVID. And so we've made a, a lot of progress during this really challenging time. And I think it just speaks to their leadership and strength in this area. And I, I know we will continue to do that. I do want to mention that, you know, this is phase one of our racial equity plan. Um, and we'll be submitting this plan uh, at the end of the year. And then we'll start implementation in January. And then we're also going to embark on developing phase two of our plan, which will deal much more with the external community and external policies. And I, I would imagine that we will, um, you know, encounter a lot of challenges with COVID-related um, engagement as we move forward. So it, it's definitely for something for us to look out for. Commissioner Chu, do you still have your hand raised? No. Okay. <laughs> Just double checking. All right. Um, anyone else have any comments or questions? Okay. Before I open up to public comment, I just want to thank everybody. This is an extraordinary amount of work. It's impressive. It's awesome to see the progress that has been made since last year when we first heard about the survey results. Um, and I also really wanted to say thank you to Mawuli and Adam for joining in and offering their really excellent feedback to us. I appreciate that so much. But now we should open it up to public comment.
Great, so I will put the instructions back up on the screen for anyone who would like to call in at this time to make a public comment on the department's draft racial equity plan. And just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment and a reminder to please press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in our queue, but we'll just take a brief pause in case anyone would like to call in at this time. Perhaps as we wait, if I may, President Stevenson. Uh, so just commenting and uh, supporting generally the efforts of staff, I think are really uh, uh, good here. Uh, I'm very appreciative of all the work that's been put in done to date. And that, you know, content, you know, as I've said in the past, again, I see this as not just reflective of the department, but generally the environmental movement at large. I do think it's very important we make efforts to diversify our movement in order to achieve better solutions to what collectively we're trying to do as a commission and as a department. So thanks again for all your work. And I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, public comment is now closed. Next item, please. Okay, so we'll move on to our next item, which is agenda item seven, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2020-5-COE to amend the Commission on the Environment Bylaws to update regular commission, operations committee, and policy committee meetings. The sponsor is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and the speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. The explanatory documents are the San Francisco Commission on the Environment Bylaws and resolution file number 2020-5-COE. And this item is for discussion and action. Charles, take it away. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Stevenson. Thank you, Katie. I always appreciate the double emphasis there. Um, Charles Sheehan, um, Policy and Public Affairs for the Commission on the Environment. Um, we have been, um, uh, having we've had some trouble with a number of dates for a couple of years for commission meetings, probably starting with the uh, commission meeting that always happens to fall on the third week of November, which is often Thanksgiving week, and it's challenging to reschedule. It's also very challenging to reschedule and secure a location in City Hall. Um, and so um, this year through for a number of reasons, we've decided to take a look at some of those commission dates that have always proven to be challenging. And we decided to update our bylaws um, with suggest with, with changes. Um, and I'm gonna take you through those changes on a slide deck that I'm going to shortly share. Um, and I'm gonna kind of start from the easiest changes to the most complicated changes. Because one of them, um, a city ordinance, which I'll get into a little bit later, is necessitating that we put a little daylight between an operations committee meeting and a full commission meeting in the beginning of the year when we're talking about budgets. So uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. I'm going to share my screen here. Um, so just uh, give me a second. This is my first time doing this. So I'm uh, hopefully this is it. Okay. Um, Katie, can you see that? Um, can you see that screen? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm actually going to start at the end of my slide deck, um, and I'm going to stop after each slide because there's a lot of dates swirling here, and I think it'd be best to digest them one by one, um, even though some of them are related to the others. So 
that's how I'm just going to approach this and hopefully people will be able to follow. So the first suggestion are for some changes to the policy committee meetings. Um, currently right now, it's the second Monday of each month, except in October when the meeting is on the fourth month, on the fourth Monday. The challenge with this is we always have that fourth Monday policy committee meeting that runs into the policy committee meeting that happens right away in early November. There's always a little bit of a staff challenge to prepare for them when they're so close together, and we usually wind up canceling one of them. So there's a solution, I'm gonna to get to that in a second, but we're also recommending that we cancel the first policy meeting of the year in January, because we have to move the operations committee meeting to the beginning of January, and I'm gonna to get to that in the next slide. So the proposal for the policy committee meetings are for the second Monday of each month with no meeting in January, and the October meeting will now be on the first Monday. I'll pause. Does anyone have any questions on that? Okay, I'll move on to the next slide. So the next slide is for the operations committee meetings. Currently, they're the third Thursday in January, April, July, and October. Um, we are recommending, of course, we keep them the third Wednesday in um, third Wednesday in April, July, and October. But we want to move the the January operations committee meeting to the second Monday of January, and and that and that gets really close to the policy committee meeting, which is why we just kind of want to cancel the policy committee meeting in January um, um, because they're very close together. And January is typically our busiest month, and so that will give us. Um, give us some breathing room to uh, really move the policy committee meeting to um, starting to have them in, in February and hit the ground running then. But the real reason we need to move the operations committee meeting in January to the beginning of the month relates to an ordinance that the Board of Supervisors, I think, passed early last year. And it calls for departments to hold public hearings on their budgets before they're submitted to the mayor's office. Now, the good thing about our commission and the good thing about many other departments with commissions, we were already holding budget hearings, both at the operations committee as well as the full commission. And so it's not requiring us to do anything new, really, because we were already doing this. There is one line in the ordinance, though, that specifies there must be 15 days between when you hold your first hearing at the operations committee and then when you hold your second budget hearing at the full commission. And so that is why we are moving the um, um, operations committee meeting to the beginning of the month in January to make sure we have 15 days before we get to the full commission and then the second and budget approval at that full commission. And so I'm gonna get to the commission changes in the next slide, but I'll pause. Are there any questions so far? Okay, we get to the final slide here, the regular commission meetings. Currently, they're bi-monthly on the fourth Tuesday of January, uh, March, May, July, September, and November. Um, we are recommending changing it to, um, and there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a discrepancy in amendment I'm going to talk about um, shortly. We are recommending changing it to the fourth Tuesday of March, May, July, and September. The first Monday of February, and that allows us that 15-day time that we need to have between the operations and the full commission, which is mandated in the ordinance. And we're recommending 
the first Tuesday of December. Um, that gets us out of that pesky Thanksgiving weekend um, into the first full week of December. And I will note that we've gone back and forth on these dates many times. And so actually in the resolution before you, it says the second Tuesday of December. And so staff is recommending an amendment to make that the first Tuesday of December. Um, I'm going to pause again and see, and see if has, anyone has any questions, but that is actually the uh, end of my presentation and the date changes that we are recommending. And I'm going to unshare my screen. Oh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Charles. Um, sure. As someone who's long been part of the um, Thanksgiving lack of quorum kerfuffle, yes. I'm super excited to see this. It seems simple, but it takes time to get these things done. Um, so I appreciate the work that's gone into this. Um, I'm very much in agreement with what we want to do here. Um, due to a typo, I think, in the resolution, I think that we should amend the resolution, not just with the um, recommendation from staff that you mentioned, Charles, but also um, in the current resolution, um, you can see that there's, it says beginning November 2004, which was just old text, I think, that got left in. Um, I think we need to amend that to January 2020, okay. or I'm sorry, January 2021, um, starting next year. Yes. The, regu the regular commission meeting should be held on the fourth Tuesday of March, May, July, and September, and the first Monday of February, and the first Tuesday of December at 5 p.m. So, um, I will recommend that um, I will actually uh, make a motion that we amend the resolution with that language, and I'm happy to reread it if I kind of ran through it rambly and too quickly for anybody. Is there a second to my motion to amend 2004 to 2021 and change as staff suggested to the first? Second. Uh, second. I, th I think that was Commissioner Chu first and Commissioner Sullivan next. <laughs> Um, any oh. other comments or concerns about the language or the resolution? Questions? All right. Um, should we open it up to public comment then, Katie? Yes, we will open it up to public comment at this time. And as soon as I make myself the presenter, and then I will share the instructions for making a public comment. Second. All right, so the instructions should now be up on the screen if you're joining us um, from WebEx. Just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment and please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I do see that we have one caller in the queue. So I will get my timer ready and I will go ahead and unmute our first caller now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Excellent, David Philpel. So uh, I have you on SFGovTV, on YouTube and on WebEx. You guys are everywhere. So popular. Um, okay, so on item seven, the commission bylaws comments. Uh, I have no objection to the uh, proposed uh, changes. 
if staff could just confirm that the notice uh, requirements uh, were met in the bylaws, let's see, Article uh, 11 amendments uh, need to be uh, posted and circulated at least uh, 10 days prior uh, to a meeting just to confirm that that was done. If that was done, then you're fine and okay to, to do that tonight. If not, then mm, I don't know. Uh, and I would have to go through my mail and be sure that I got the uh, correct notice at least, uh, or that it was mailed out at least 10 days ago. Um, I'm not sure that I saw that there was a notice posted on the web. Okay, anyway, um, there was that. In the future, it's helpful to either adopt a specific meeting calendar uh, for the following year or at least to make that known with the specific dates. Um, uh, Monica Fish used to uh, do that every year, like at the November uh, commission meeting. It would be helpful, if, even if you're not doing that right now, to just put out following tonight's meeting a specific calendar with the, the dates for uh, next year. I assume that you already uh, checked about uh, Jewish holidays and other things that vary, um, but just wanted to be sure on that. Um, I think that's all I have on the bylaws. I'll have something later on on item eight. Thanks. Thank you for your comments. Are there any other members of the public with comments? And I'm seeing no additional callers in the queue. All right, then we should take a roll call vote. Or actually, I need a I need a motion to accept the change to the bylaws, please, as amended. Yeah, I'm actually wondering if we could uh, just procedurally, why don't we do a roll call to accept the amendments, and then we'll do a roll call of the amended uh, okay. resolution. So just two roll calls just to be really procedurally clear. Thank you. All right. So we already had a motion and a second on the amendment. So can we do a vote, please, for that, Katie? Yes. So I'll now call the roll call vote um, on the amendments. Uh, President Stevenson. Aye. Vice President Ahn. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Chu. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald is excused. And Commissioner Wan. Aye. Okay. All right. The, mo the motion to approve the amendment passes. Do I hear a motion to approve the resolution? So moved. All right, Commissioner Sullivan, and is there a second? Second. Commissioner Bermejo. All right, I don't think we have to take public comment again on the item. All right, so can we move to a vote, please, Katie? Yes, so I'll now call the roll call vote on the resolution. President Stevenson? Aye. Aye. Vice President Ahn? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Chu? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald. Oh, is excused, sorry. Commissioner Wan. <laughs> Aye. All right, the motion passes. Thanks, everyone. Next item, please. Great, we'll move on to item eight, director's report. Updates on Department of the Environment administrative and programmatic operations relating to budget planning, strategic planning, clean air and transportation, climate, energy, public outreach and education, environmental justice, Habitat restoration, green building, zero waste, toxics reduction, and urban forestry. And the speaker is Deborah Raphael, director, and the explanatory document is the director's report. And this item is for discussion. Thank all right, thanks, Debbie. Debbie. Well, I will not be going through all that list of things. I am, you know, it's our last commission meeting for the year. 
And so I thought, you know, just sort of looking back on 2020 and thinking about, well, what, what a year it's been. And uh, the very first thing I would say in terms of looking back is the tremendous pivot and uh, depth of response that we had because of the pandemic. It's certainly not over. We're in a surge right now, as everyone knows. Uh, and we have been giving our top talent from the top of the organization all the way through into the emergency response directly. We have Chris Geiger writing documents of explanation, info and guidance documents. We have Gianna, who's our school ed person, helping reopen the schools. Myself, I was working with Department of Public Health at the very beginning to try and help them organize their response. So on and on and on, translation, outreach, uh, our staff have been doing that throughout. We also um, have been working through our programs to pivot. You've heard about that all through the year, whether it's the green business program, uh, offering prebates and rebates, the uh, trying to help our small businesses get back on their feet, or the work we've been doing with Emergency Ride Home. All of our programs are asking themselves, how can we pivot? What can we do? How can we lend our support? And yet we've also uh, managed to do some pretty good environmental work as well. The reduced risk pesticide list was adopted and uh, not only adopted, but our data has shown uh, tremendous improvements in our glyphosate use. I have to give you one little bit of update and in a policy committee meeting, we'll probably wanna talk about this again. When we looked at alternatives to Roundup, one of the ones we were looking at was a product called Weed Slayer. I don't know if you remember us. And, and we were surprised and Rec and Park staff were kind of surprised how well it worked because it was a bacteria and an enzyme. Well, it turns out, we just found out that they've been secretly putting Roundup into that product as well as Diquat, which is even more toxic. <laughs> and so no wonder it's killing everything so well. Uh, so CDFA, the California Food and Agriculture and Department of Pesticide Regulation have pulled it. Uh, thank God for our organic program because they actually looked at that product. It's just horrendous, horrendous. It, it, it crushes me um, because you had so many well-meaning people trying to do the right thing. Uh, anyway, that's a little sidebar. We'll come back to that in the policy committee and talk about it more. Uh, we've also, as you know, passed uh, the most aggressive natural gas ban or all electric for new construction ordinance. Uh, Oakland just passed one that is very aggressive as well. San Jose's working on one and now I hear Seattle's working on one. So we're, we're leaving California now in looking at this uh, leadership. You've heard about the work on construction and demolition. We have an ordinance that's really well crafted. It's not gonna get over the finish line this calendar year, but it's definitely been work that we work very hard on. So I would say that we've moved the needle environmentally. We're getting ready for a climate action plan. We're getting ready for a racial equity plan. Uh, and all of those are future looking for 2021 and beyond. So I'm very proud of our department in 2021. I'm very proud and appreciative of our commission. And I am, uh, it's a partnership. It's a partnership between all of you and us and other city agencies and community organizations. We can't do it alone. We all know that. And 2020 has really shown the importance of working together. So that's my director's report. Thank you, Director Raphael. Is there any comment or questions, commissioners? 
right. Is there any public comment? So we'll open it up for public comment and I will put the instructions for making a comment back up on the screen. Just a reminder that comments should be related to this item, the director's report, and you will have three minutes to make your comment. And give me one second while I check our queue. And I do see that we have one caller in the queue. And so I will go ahead and unmute our first caller. Can you hear me now? Yes. Excellent. Uh, okay, David Pilpel again. Um, on the director's report, item eight, in the future, um, if we could please include, uh, again, as used to um, be in the director's report, personnel changes at the department that used to be in here and disappeared a while back, and it would be great that we're um, in here again. I don't know if there have been any personnel changes uh, during this time period, but um, it would just be helpful to know that. Um, in addition to the work that's uh, listed, uh, there are at least two things that I think are uh, missing. I understand that uh, staff uh, has uh, worked, in fact, a lot on the uh, uh, agreement with Recology to collect uh, refuse from uh, city departments. That was uh, at committee at the Board of Supervisors, went to the full board, was re-referred uh, back to the Budget and Finance Committee, and I think that's where it is now. Um, also, uh, and, and I think that was SOCO uh, on perhaps others, but definitely SOCO on that. Uh, and also uh, staff, including uh, Kara Gurney and others, uh, worked to create the department uh, response to the civil grand jury uh, report on uh, recycling, uh, which um, found in general that uh, our materials in the, the blue bin are going to markets where markets exist, uh, but that we could do a slightly better job in um, uh, being transparent about where those commodities are uh, being sold and uh, ways to both encourage people to put things in the right bin and discourage them from putting things in the wrong bin. And the staff is uh, working to implement uh, those uh, findings and recommendations. Um, and then, uh, sorry, back on the previous item, I didn't hear a response on my uh, uh, comment about the 10-day notice requirement for a bylaws change. I don't see a notice on the website. And I believe the Charter Section 4.104A1 uh, requires uh, such 10-day uh, notice. So you may want to check with the city attorney as to whether the um, action that you just took to change the bylaws uh, was, in fact, uh, properly before you. Okay, that's all for me for tonight. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Thank you. All right, seeing no more public in the queue, I don't think. Is there anyone else, Katie, that you see on your end? No, I'm not seeing any additional callers. All right, public comments now closed. Next item, please. All right, on to the next item, which is agenda item nine, committee reports, and this item is for discussion. All right, Commissioner Ahn, can you give us a report, please, on the last policy committee meeting? Yes, President Stevenson. So on November 2nd, the policy committee had one meeting in place of the two previously scheduled meetings on October 26th and November 9th. There was a presentation from department staff on the proposed construction and demolition ordinance that we just uh, heard today and its resolution. And the policy committee voted to recommend a resolution to the full commission. Uh, and of course, we defer that for a future time. And then finally, there was a presentation also from Colin Dental Post with the uh, San Francisco County Transportation Authority on the Congestion Management Initiative, where we uh, 
uh, discuss congestion pricing. That concludes my report. Thank you very much. All right, for operations on October 21st, we had our first virtual meeting since we met in person in January. Um, we had presentations from the department staff on the budget for next year, as well as the move to the new office building, which is 1155 Market Street. Um, and then we also had a preview presentation um, and chance to give feedback and a great discussion on certain pieces of the department's draft racial equity plan that we just saw the fuller presentation for now. All right, let's open up for public comment on that item. Great, I'll put the instructions back up on the screen in case anyone would like to call in to make a comment on this agenda item, which is committee reports. And just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your public comment. And please also remember to press star three and if, if you would like to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in our queue, but we'll take a brief pause in case anyone would like to call in at this time. And I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, next item, please. All right. So we will move on to the next item, item 10, announcements. And this item is for discussion. All right, fellow commissioners, do you have any announcements to make? Okay, any members of the public have any comment on this item? Let me put the instructions back up on the screen for making a public comment uh, related to this agenda item, which is announcements. Just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take another brief pause in case anyone would like to call in at this time. not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, public comments now closed. Next item, please. All right, our next item is item 11, new business and future agenda items. And the speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Public and Policy, Policy and Public Affairs Officer. And this item is for discussion. All right, Charles, thank you. I was still on mute, my apologies. Thank you, uh, Katie and Commissioner Stevenson. Um, the next meeting of the policy committee meeting is on December 14th. The next meeting for the new bylaws of the full commission meeting is the first Monday of February. I just need to verify that, so quickly. Yes, that's correct, so that's February 1st. And then the next meeting of the operations committee is 
the second Monday of January, and so that is the 11th of January. Ooh, all new. So um, we have a number of topics that we are going to discuss at all of these future meetings. They include its budget season, so we will be talking about that at operations and the full commission meeting. Um, we'll be having move updates at the operations committee. We'll be having officer elections at the upcoming commission meeting. Um, the annual report, um, and that's something I neglected to mention in my previous presentation, but the annual report, um, um, we're proposing that that now go to the operations committee meeting because that is the meeting in January, and it's also is related to commission outreach. And so the operations committee will get that annual report in January in advance of it going to the full commission uh, in February for approval as well. Um, and there's a few other topics that we are uh, entertaining for the uh, upcoming year. So um, it's going to be a busy start of the year and, um, and a good one as well. Any feedback or comments, commissioners? Any public comment? So I'll put the instructions for public comment back up on the screen. And if you would like to make a public comment related to this agenda item, just a reminder that you will have three minutes to make your comment. And please remember to press star three in order to be added to the queue. And I'm not currently seeing any callers in the queue, but we'll take a brief pause in case anyone would like to call in at this time. And I'm not seeing any callers in the queue. All right, public comments now closed. Next item. All right. Our next item is item 12, adjournment. And with that, the time is 7.53 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody.